A Tiny Revolution features adults having adult conversations, which means that adult language is probably going to be present, just so you know. Hey there, this is Kevin Garcia, and you're listening to A Tiny Revolution, a podcast featuring stories about ordinary people living revolutionary lives. Um, and welcome to episode 45, y'all. It has been a little bit of a minute, um, because my personal life is a little bit crazy right now. If you've been listening or following or you're on my mailing list, you probably know that my dad is quite sick right now, to put it quite lightly. Um, so I could really use your prayers and patience as I navigate the next few months. Um, I can almost, I'm just going to say there's going to be a delay in content coming out because I, uh, I'm doing this thing called self care right now. And part of that self care includes allowing myself to rest because frankly, I don't always have the energy to make things, um, which is, which is problematic, especially because if you have like, you know, Patreon supporters like I do, uh, y'all are paying me to create things. So, um, if you would, uh, have a little bit of grace with me, I will try my hardest to continue to have everything out. At least like one podcast, one video and one blog a week is usually my goal. Um, if there's a little bit of a drag in that, um, you know why, um, I'm experiencing personal turmoil, but, um, I would really, really love if you guys could be praying for me. Um, It's really hard right now. Just so you know, I am doing the whole self-care thing, and that for me looks like being in therapy about twice a week now. I am talking to a psychiatrist about meds, which I have never done meds before. (laughs) I've never done meds before. Um, I've never been on medication to help handle anxiety or depression before, so this is like a new journey for me that I'm excited about, but also, you know, a little scared about. So uh, any advice is welcome. Feel free to comment on the blog or tweet at me with advice. Anyways, I am going to stop talking about myself now, and I want to talk about my guest today, which is an amazing human named Nathaniel Totten. I first came across him on the Twitters, and he's one of those voices that continually surprises me with uh, both his candor, his honesty, his vulnerability, and... Uh, just like the fact that he's staying at a conservative Christian university. Nathaniel Totten is living in Lynchburg, Virginia, completing his undergraduate degree in music and worship studies at Liberty University. And yes, I mean that, Liberty University. He grew up in a conservative evangelical family in a farming town in Michigan, yet, as fate would have it, he's gay. After a year of asking questions, undergoing the deconstruction of his faith, and losing everything that he thought was secure, he's beginning to write and share about his experiences from a little bit of a weird perspective. He sometimes feels caught between two seemingly opposed realities, trying to make things better for LGBTQ people like himself in spaces where they may not be welcomed, and also the faith tradition that he comes from. He's 21, living his best life thanks to $3 wine and his partner, and trying his best to love in a world where love doesn't always make sense. He's a big fan of kittens. He believes that maple is a superior fall flavor, which I'm going to fight him about. Um, And he's eternally obsessed with Sia, and all I've got to say to that is same, girl, same. 
and he's a really really wonderful human in this conversation we dive into his story a little bit why he stayed at a conservative university despite them not affirming his personhood and his hopes for the future and i think you're really going to love this conversation we have it's honestly super wonderful so why don't you go ahead grab yourself a coffee maybe something maple flavored in honor of our guest and uh yeah let's dive in this is my conversation with nathaniel totten Yeah, um, I was raised in an Assemblies of God family in Michigan, and that kind of intense spiritual charisma kind of defined my adolescence. Um, I also attended conservative Lutheran private schools, and so I was just kind of around a rather diverse theological multiverse, I guess. Um, a theological multiverse. That's a dope way of putting it. <laughs> That's how it felt. Um, cause we, we just never, I never fit in wherever I was spiritually. There was always something that I was like, yeah, not too sure of. Um, and so that had a, prompted a lot of conversations. And so I got to, uh, grow a lot just by disagreeing with the people I was around, but mm. respectfully. Um, yeah. and so that kind of, that informed a lot of how I saw the world. Um, families, like I said, conservative uh, up in Michigan. And I lived in a really small little farming town. Um, mm-hmm. I was not like exposed much to much <laughs> the world, as you might hear it called. Um, and so I didn't really, I didn't really have language to describe what would eventually become my understanding of my, my gayness. Mm-hmm. And so Growing up, like I had a lot of feelings and experiences that I thought were normal just because I wanted them to be normal. Right. Um, but turns out they, they weren't exactly the normal I thought they were. Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't until my junior year of high school, um, which I had, it was like a 370-some person high school. I was really involved in a lot of different ways. Um, I was like vice president of our student council. I accompanied our choirs. I was the director for our student worship team. Um, so I did, did a lot, had a lot of influence with my peers. But in all of that, I was like having a lot of trouble identifying like who I was, what I was supposed to do. Um, so my junior year of high school, I, I remember finally saying when I was sitting in my parents' car with a friend of mine in our high school parking lot, like, I'm gay. Um, Whoa. And so, were your parents present at that moment, or was it just you and your friend? Oh no, it was just me and my friend. Ah. And uh, I mean, I had, I had acknowledged a couple times previously that like I struggled with being attracted to guys. Did you call um, it same sex attraction? I did. I did. I did. Classic. <laughs> yep. Uh, the the Christianese way of saying you're gay. <laughs> and I, I I guess I really didn't know what to do. Just acknowledging it for me was in a way like opening the floodgates. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So there was, <laughs> this is really stupid, but there was like a week in my junior year of high school where I just decided, Hey, I'm gay and it's okay. And so for a week, I just let myself feel okay with it, but it was mm-hmm. too much for me. Wow. And so I was like, it was so overwhelming that I just was like, no, I, I'm good at detaching. Now that I know I'm an Enneagram five, it all makes sense. Ah. So I just like detached myself from my feelings, didn't think too much about it. And for the next year and a half, two years, I just didn't, it wasn't at the forefront of my brain, Mm -hmm. my thoughts. 
Um, I tried not to think about it because there was too much else going on. And at that point, I'd become sure I was going to Liberty. And so I was like, okay, we'll be okay. I'll be fine. Um, so yeah, that's kind of like where I was before I came to Liberty. Um, I was the, the, well, I became the music director at a youth camp in Michigan. Um, mm-hmm. And it was through the director's niece that I was introduced to Liberty because she had gone here for a songwriting degree. And I saw a brochure, was super interested. It looked cool, modern, way different than the school I was going to at the time. So I was like, great, sign me up. So applied within a week, was accepted, and never looked back. Like That was that was it. I was confident. I was sure. Um, wish I had not been so sure now, but it's okay. And, you know, uh, hindsight's always twenty fifteen, really. <laughs> you're right. It was... Yeah, I wish I had done more research. Um, <laughs> so I, I did visit uh, my senior year of high school, and I lo- it's a beautiful campus. It's yeah, like, I've been it's there. It's a really great – it's it's a great location. I love Lynchburg. I love living in Lynchburg. Um, a lot of character. And uh, I, I thought that everything would be okay. Um, and I think knowing what I know now, there's a lot of problems I have just – take all of like the theology and all that out of the question that mm-hmm. I have a lot of problems with just how my degree program is run. I'm studying mm-hmm. music and worship with a concentration in pastoral leadership. And there's just a, there are a lot of problems There's too many to count uh, with just how it works, how yeah. the degree feels. It's, it's weird. I could probably go on an hour long spiel about my feelings. Um, but I, uh, I, for the first two years here, I was doing pretty great. Um, I really, I bought into everything. It was my first time being introduced to Calvinist thought. Oh, <laughs> Lord. Yeah, I, I had, I call it a neo-Calvinist phase. And uh, I mean, it was... I feel like there's a lot of us who probably <laughs> had that. Yeah, it was, it just felt so solid. Like, oh, okay, I can take this as literally as I can and be somewhat offended, but not talk about how offended I am, but it still sounds good. So, um, yeah, it was, but it was also like, I was really into this guy that he was a good friend of mine and he was very neo-Calvinist and I didn't have the language for it at the time, but I eventually like, it's weird. I just like realized, wow, I'm in love with this guy. Uh, yeah. It was a, it was a weird situation that kind of cost a friendship, but, um, in retrospect, I wish, I mean, I grew a lot through it. It was, it was during that time in my sophomore year when I was feeling all this stuff that I told my parents and my sister that, um, I was same sex attracted and I sent them like this long letter to told them how I was committed to either being single for the rest of my life or marrying a woman. Cause for some reason I still thought that was uh, an open door for me. It just felt like I needed to say something. Yeah, so, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's kind of like this need to just like name, like at least put a little bit of language to what's happening inside your person. Otherwise, it's like yeah, it's just I, it, it feels like you're like. I mean, I rem- I remember exactly that same same moment. Mm-hmm. It's it was almost it was really strange because once I acknowledged it and that was out of the way, I did not want to talk about it. Like right, yeah. We were, my dad picked me up for a Christmas break, I think, and he tried talking to me about it and I got overwhelmed by anxiety and was like, I don't want to talk about it. Just don't, I don't want to talk about it. Please don't mention it. I'm good. Mm. I'm fine. Yeah. So that was a really weird time. And it, it, it took until 
it, it all kind of happened fast, I guess, but it was that following spring after this, this is spring of 2016 that um, I kind of began coming to terms with the reality that, okay, this is an unchanging aspect of who I am. I don't think I am attracted to women at all. Like, I'm not going to say I don't like labeling, but I also am not going to be unrealistic. And so mm. I just kind of was like, this is how it is. And so I started reading Wesley Hill at the uh, mm. prompting of my resident um, assistant, my RA. And that was helpful, I guess, because it took away a lot of the shame I had for just being. Um, it, it helped me give like theological language to how I was feeling in a way that also affirmed me as a human being. Yeah. I think Which, that's what's missing from a lot of the, um, from like the, like, uh, cause like Wesley Hill, I believe is like still pretty side B. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think like, as far as like, uh, books on side B are concerned, like Wesley Hills is quite generous. It is. And, and I really, I really resonated with the way he wrote. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just like really thorough and, and not too long winded. And I just, I don't know. I loved it. And I, I have a lot of respect for him still. Oh, the, of course. My, my, my greatest uh, problems come with people like Rosaria Butterfield and Sam Albury. That's, yeah. Did anyone which, recommend their books to you? Because they said like, well, Rosario was a big old lesbian and she got healed. So, so can you? <laughs> I don't think anyone did. I know that she was like, I, I knew of her. I didn't really get confronted with her stuff until she spoke at Liberty that fall, that fall, <gasps> um, which is, which was a big deal for me. But I, I guess in that time, so spring, I, I start reading Wesley Hill and it was good for me, but it also left me deeply dissatisfied because right. when I was, I remember when I was in high school, I came across like the gay Christian network site in mm-hmm. my like angsty nights of trying to understand myself Mm -hmm. and it was like oh some people believe that you know that it's possible to think this way yeah and so that kind of prompted my interest and when i when i read wesley's books and i went into the summer i was just I, i don't know how to describe it i just was not feeling that it answered any questions but rather it felt like it was too idealistic Mm -hmm. um and kind of putting a burden on people yeah i didn't feel make made any sense so yeah do you feel like it was more like um and this is like using language that i use with my work with reformation project and my advocacy work but like kind of making celibacy more of a mandate and less of a vocation or like a spiritual gift yeah and i I remember talking to a friend at that time and saying when i talk when i feel like i want to be in a relationship. Like when I love someone, it's, it's not be- because it's reduced to some sexual devi- deviancy. It's, it's like, I want to come home from work. I want to, you know, have someone to sit silently during breakfast with because there's nothing to talk about, but we're with each other. Like mm-hmm. I-, I want to have someone to fall asleep next. Like all of my feelings were not wrapped up in, I want to have sex. My feelings were in like, I want companionship. Right. Um, and so like learning just like talking that way for me was, was really helpful in, in giving me a, a way to focus my mind because instead of just thinking how I feel LGBTQ Christians are just reduced to sex, mm-hmm. I was like, what is, well, no, that's, that, that's not all we are, but also how can we talk about this in a way that's far more generous because 
and I especially came to think this way that the straight Christians, and I'm going to say someone like Preston Sprinkle, who <laughs> are straight and married, um, like that, it's just frustrating because it's you know you you don't you cannot fully appreciate and understand right. what you're talking about because you have not lived that loneliness in such a profound way. Yeah, and you also don't personally like you meaning uh, Preston Sprinkle or, or people from that kind of ideology also don't have the call of celibacy on their life or the gift or the vocation of celibacy that they are being called to live into. Absolutely. And so it's yeah. one of these things where it's like, I do not feel that like straight, cis, married, white, male Christians, pastors, whoever they might be, like, you know, the only person I would ever want to talk to about like, you know, a call of celibacy is somebody who's actually living out a call of celibacy. Yeah. You know, who understands yeah. like what it is to feel what I feel and walk through what I've walked through. You're right. I absolutely agree. And and in thinking, I didn't like that I was feeling this way. I tried really hard not to, but I was I was just so bothered by this nagging sense of dissatisfaction that it it kind of like threw me into reading Matthew Vines's book and uh, James Brownson. I so I worked at a youth camp, like I said, right. And the last year, I guess twenty sixteen, two years ago, um, I was not a counselor anymore. I was in more of an executive position, so mm -hmm. I didn't. I wasn't directly responsible to kids. I was responsible to the director, and so I wasn't. Thankfully, I had like free open nights because I wasn't dealing with kids. Right, <laughs> right, right. Such a such a blessing. And <laughs> Amen. I, I I remember I would stay up late into the night just reading books on my laptop in my cabin in bed, and I would spend like if we had staff free time or whatever if i wasn't working on something um i would be reading and someone asked what i was reading and i tried really hard to lie and i was like no i'm reading god and the gay christian mm. and he was just like oh cool okay um but it was it was like in that time i think i read three or four books in the span of three weeks wow while working like a, a full-time job where i was up in the middle of nowhere and leading worship twice a day um every day and it was just, it was exhausting, but like, I could not, I just needed to read. I needed to know. And I, I remember telling a friend, like, I need to understand what people are thinking about this because I will never be satisfied until I. Until like, you do. Yeah. I just had to understand. Had to, or like, even like, uh, understand what you thought about it. Oh yeah. I was like shaping. I, I knew that either I would be convinced or I would have a really strong argument against affirming theology. Mm -hmm. And so I knew that there was a risk involved with that. And I, my friends also recognized the risk involved with that, but I just, I had to read. And so I did. And I remember we were on a family vacation a couple of weeks after camp ended. And it was just like during that time I was, it was up at a campground and on the beach in Michigan. And I was just sitting on the beach thinking this, thinking about how much my life was changing because I knew, I just knew that it, I was going to be gay and I was going to be fine with it. But knowing that versus feeling okay with it, like two different things. And it, it would take a really long time for you to be okay with being that way. Even mm -hmm. though like in my mind I was okay. Like this is, I, I wasn't initially really persuaded one way. I was just more than convinced that non-affirming theology was totally inadequate for dealing with real people. Yeah. Um, and so that shaped the way that I approached any conversation about it. Um, and, and so it was, 
it was a weird time because I was like grieving the loss of everything I knew I was going to lose, but didn't, I, I was still like in my head, hopeful for the future. Um, so we come back into school for the fall of 2016 and like mm. I, I had bleached my hair that summer because whoa my, 90s uh, rebel yeah this was like in the early stages of my coming to terms with myself and i guess it was just my subconscious way of saying f you to the world <laughs> no like i, I totally get it i dyed my hair purple so <laughs> yeah it's great i i encourage everyone dye your hair if you can't just do it it's fun. just honestly truly if you get nothing else from this podcast i uh just do, do what you want with your hair. Absolutely. Be careful with the bleach. I had to get mine bleached five times. So it's really painful. Yeah. But... Go, go see a professional, maybe, if you don't have experience. Absolutely. Um, it, yeah, that was like that was funny because it was fun. I, I miss having white hair, but, you know, mm-hmm. I went back to school, white hair tots, was super, super excited, but also terrified because I was gay and I was okay. And mm-hmm. this is junior guy, year now? Yeah, this was... This was as the 2016 election picked up and I was coming to terms with my sexuality and our school president had really dug his heels into Trumpism. Um, Good old Mr. Falwell. That was, I, it's hard. I can't overstate like how, <laughs> how difficult that has been and how much like liberty on the inside has shifted in the last year because of him. Um, hmm. It's weird. But yeah, I, I just... I came back to school after reading a whole bunch of books, especially James Brownson. I loved his book. Um, it's a brilliant piece. It is really, really dense. I read it all on my little iPhone. That was oh god! I was like, very I had impressed. Trouble, I had trouble getting through that just with like the actual like textbook <laughs> itself. No, I was so into it. I was like, I need to know. I need to know. Um, and so yeah, I, I came back to school and slowly but surely began coming to terms with that reality. Um, I was into another guy, which didn't go anywhere, but it was also a learning experience and what it's like to love without reciprocity. Oh, um, gosh. You better come was, through with that. That's a $2 word, reciprocity. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was a tough season, I guess. Um, the election, I remember sitting in a, in a vocal recital at the School of Music on election day, the day after oh. election. And just like crying, like I cried so many times that day. Yeah, um, I um I had a day off after election day, thankfully, but then I went into work the following Thursday. And my boss like looks me down in the face and said, "How are you, Kevin?" And I literally started bawling like as I was like holding a burger that I'm supposed to be running to a table, and I'm just like, <laughs> I just need to go step in the in the bathroom for a minute, and like I had to pull myself together because like I was beside myself, so. No, you're you're so right. Because my at Liberty, they were they were in a celebratory Joyful mood. as fuck. I I remember I got this bad feeling around like nine or ten p.m. So I went back to my dorm. I down two melatonin. I was like, I'm going to sleep. I don't want to mm. know what happens. Yeah. I remember waking up around midnight with guys like screaming down my hall the Trump train, and just that like, sounds the, traumatizing. It was it was bad. It was really bad. I it, the whole the whole environment was just so toxic for a little bit, and I didn't really have any like affirming or progressive friends. I had like one or two, but it would take a little while for me to develop that kind of network. Um, yeah. And this semester, Rosaria Butterfield spoke, like I said, and that was traumatizing because. As like the student body gave for a standing ovation, I just kind of sat there thinking, none of you know like. 
you, none of you know how damaging this is yeah. or how much this hurts, how, how much you seem to want to win an argument without actually caring for people. Mm, um, and so there was just, it was a lot. And our president and his president Falwell, not the other one, um, his, his behavior through all this, his inability to actually defend anything he thought <laughs> it was just, it was rough. Um, it would take a while for me to, it would take about a, nine to 10 months for me to even learn how to deal with the anger that would yeah. come out of that. And I still have a lot of it. Um, and through all this time, I was um, a musician and became a music director at Elevation Church. Um, and, and that was... Oh, the full-blown that, music director. Yeah, well, it's like I was in charge of our band. I wasn't on staff. I was a contracted musician in charge of the band. Hmm. Um, and, and that was... That was a good experience. I made a lot of friends. You'd be surprised how many like quietly progressive people go to Elevation or especially like our musicians there. I mean, I'm not, I'm honestly not that surprised. Like <laughs> I like looking, I know I have a lot of friends who are like um, musicians, vocalists uh, at like mega churches around the area who are all like contract workers. Yeah. And like some of them are gay themselves and just like not talking about it. Some of them are mm-hmm. going out to gay bars with me on the weekends. Um <laughs> And it's one of these things where I, where I wonder, or even like um, at my old church, where like the entire worship staff is pretty much affirming, but it just isn't saying anything. So it's like, wow, guys, like, you know, what yeah. are you doing? It, it's amazing what could happen if like just those groups, those pockets of influence would just like stand up and say something. Yeah, we lose all of our all of our modern worship music gone. <laughs> Well, that, yeah. And, and that was, that's another weird part of my life. Cause as someone studying music and worship at like this mega church run mega school, um, there was this weird, this weird period where I just grieved, like, since I was, my entire theological paradigm shifted, right. like my, the music I listened to, which was the music I was expecting to be leading and singing in church environments suddenly became almost aggressive in a negative sense it was just it was like too much i would stand in convocation and hear songs like the lion and the lamb which okay but like just suddenly be aware of wow this penal substitutionary atonement theory that i really don't think i agree with anymore and this militant god complex i don't know i don't know if god wants wants to kill our enemies or whether we're supposed to love our enemies because i feel a little weird Uh, about that do we really want to coerce everyone like IDK. Um, Yeah. Uh, Sitting in worship classes, all that kind of stuff through all this time, it was just weird. And and seeing like the sexism in my, especially my pastoral leadership courses, Mm -hmm. um, the things, because it's that program is male exclusive. Um, Liberty does not believe women can be in positions of executive. Whoa, really? Like women can even apply to like a pastoral leadership thing? Nope. There is no women allowed in that degree program. Huh. Okay. And the professor would like shut the door very intentionally because he didn't want like people passing by to hear what he was saying, which you oh. know raises a red flag. <laughs> I mean, if you feel that way about your content, then that perhaps says something about the content. I mean, um, I mean, yeah. So that was yeah, and, and just hearing all the non-affirming theology get weirdly pushed back at me. I was I don't know. I was pretty contrarian in my peers seems to start recognizing that and the professor would eventually have me meet with him 
um, which was how this entire last semester went. I met with a bunch of, I met with every single one of my professors because they had read my blog, including one who was on the board of Liberty's trustees. Um, So that was interesting. But yeah, all of this happened and eventually I lost my position at Elevation. um, And that was like the last thing that kept me from being public um, because I'd come out to my parents as affirming last Christmas. Mm -hmm. And with that out of the way, with with, um, my position at Elevation no longer... Um, and the way I felt like, okay, I'm in a relationship now, but I feel that I have nothing to lose. <laughs> right. Um, and so I had considered leaving Liberty. I was, I had actually applied to a different school, which was also an evangelical college, but it was like, I mean, so much of my degree is proprietary courses that don't go anywhere. Yeah. Um, like when I'm taking biblical worldview and, and really specific strange courses that are worth two or three credits that that mean nothing to anyone else it's, it's just hard to take even my degree itself is it's so proprietary so that's part of why i had to stay um mm-hmm. i was really intent on getting a degree because i i knew that in the future it would be hard for me to go back into school and, and get another one yeah and especially so, especially for music i got my degree in music education and mm-hmm. oh that's great i didn't know that yeah, music education with a minor in jazz studies. So, like, I know exactly what you're talking about. Like, all of these, like, your music history course may or may not transfer to this other school depending on their pro- depending on how they do music history at their school or ear training. And oh, that's so cool! How I feel like I can talk music theory with you and oh, be a nerd all the oh. time. Like, Man, that's great. That's so good. <laughs> I, like, um, it's like I don't have many people in my life that I can nerd out over music with, so you know, let's let's be buddies about this. Please. That is an open. Always, please feel free. Let me know. Perfect. Um, yeah, I've I've I found that I I also want to go into grad school at some point. I think um, I'm not sure for what. I'm really considering an MDiv, but we'll see. <laughs> well, um, I think you'd be pretty brilliant at it. And if I may suggest, Columbia Theological Seminary right here in good old Atlanta, where I'll be starting this summer. Oh, really? That's, yeah. That's cool. I'm going to be moving to Brooklyn this next, what? during the summer. I'll be I'll be doing an internship at Forefront Church. Cool. Um, so I, I've looked at Union there. But... Union's great. Union's really good. I also have a lot of like uh, ministry connections up there in the city. So if you need to get hooked up with somebody... Um, and just good community. Let me know. I'll, uh, I'll hit them up. Absolutely. Thanks. Wow. That's so much. So you're in your final semester now? Yes. It's about to be. Congratulations. I'm very proud of you. (laughs) That was, that was so, that's a lot. There's a lot in there. Yeah. I'm probably skipping a bunch of stuff. I mean, we always do in these conversations because if we told like the actual full story, like we need an hour. Yeah, right. I always I always tell people have like the five minute version, the fifteen minute version, and then the te- and then the, <laughs> and then like your keynote version, um, yeah, of your story ready to go. Um, but maybe maybe that's like the next phase of my of my work is like teaching other people how to tell their stories. Ooh, workshops! This is an idea. Oh, that's a um, good idea. Anyways, okay, so I do want to ask because um, you've mentioned that you uh, are a five on the enneagram, which. I love the Enneagram. It has taught me so much about how I work and how I relate with other people. And mm-hmm. I think that the point that like I related most to in your story, um, I mean, like aside from like all of it, but the one specific thing that stuck out to me was you said, uh, 
right when you were you said you had a week where you figured out like you were just trying to be okay with being gay but then like you uh kind of like moved away from your emotions and your feelings and you detached from them um what's interesting so i'm an enneagram eight and in unhealth we moved to like the low side of five so that very detached feeling like being detached from your emotions um makes so much sense for me so like my question for you is how have you moved back like uh towards a more healthy side um of that because like i know that you're like you're very much an investigator trying to figure out all of the different angles and aspects of everything yeah um but how did you move back into your emotions from being detached for so long and what was that process like for you yeah, it was a lot of it came with finding language. Um, just reading for me enabled me to talk about how I was feeling because I'm really bad at putting words to my feelings, um, as my partner would tell you. Um, I I had to learn and begin to to see what I was talking about before I could feel comfortable sharing and then engaging my emotions at all. Um, I trying to think about the best way to explain that. I guess when I started writing is when I was really finally holistically engaged in this because I, I being a part of elevation, but at the same time, not aligning at all with the church on a variety of things. Mm-hmm. I, I like every Sunday I would detach myself because I could and just I could, do the job. Yeah, and, and I enjoyed the job. Like, I really loved it. I worked with great people, um, mm-hmm. some great friends. And I, I could do that. Like, I, would, <laughs> I had, like, an hour-long commute one way to the church because it's in Roanoke. And mm. I would listen to, like, Stan Mitchell from Grace Point or other progressive, like, the liturgists. I would just be crying on my way to church. But when it came time to start working, I would shut down. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so it, it wasn't until... I guess finally detaching from like the evangelical complex that I was so invested in and then finally letting all the inhibitions go that I was more comfortable. I guess the more I was vulnerable with people about who I was, the easier it was for me to become vulnerable with myself. Right. Um, and, and it took, it took leaning into my eightness, my healthy eightness. Hey, is that where fives move in health? It is. <gasps> interesting. It is interesting. Um, I know some unhealthy eights and sometimes... Oh, God. we're the like, When we're unhealthy, we're the worst. We's we're horrible are. people to be around. Yeah, I don't want to say that, but I mean, oh, you I'll said say it, it, so... No, I will say it. Eights, <laughs> the, when they're not healthy, I will say we're probably the worst kinds of people. Because we're mean, we're domineering, uh, we and also very emotionally detached. And we will just, and especially if we know the Enneagram, we will just say, I'm just, I'm just an angry person. That's just who I am. And we won't ever address like the problem, like of our anger being out of control or misdirected. Self-awareness is a great first step though. Oh my God. It, it is the first step, but just like, you can't, that's why I think like a lot of, this is the, my, this is my theory about the Enneagram right now. And I, I love it. It is, it is quickly becoming, um, it's becoming like the way that, uh, progressive Christians can talk about themselves, uh, just talk about themselves without sounding like they're talking about themselves. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and rather than rather than saying, "Oh, 
I'm using the Enneagram as a tool for spiritual development, for recognizing my blind spots, for um, recognizing how I relate to others. They're just going to say, oh, I am X, Y, and Z, and this is why I do what I do, but I'm not actually going to address my problematic behavior. So it's one of these things where like, I am so, I love the Enneagram. I'm passionate about people learning about it and who they are, but I'm also passionate about people not just taking like the basic steps, like of just like understanding your type, but understanding like how to get beyond yourself and like and, and the yep. understanding that you are not your number. Yeah, that's why when people like draw an equivalency between the Myers Briggs and the Enneagram, like you have mm-hmm. no idea. No, what you're no, no, about. no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I completely understand that. Yeah, well, I was I interrupted you. I'm sorry. Um, well, you were leaning into you're leaning into your eightness. That's what helped you. Oh yeah, uh, it was. I guess being willing to be confrontational because by, by the point I started writing, which was June of last year, like so much had happened and I was in like a happy, healthy relationship. Um, so much had happened that I was just ready to put words down and right. like go on the record and say, and, and stop kind of being like pulling a balance act that wasn't going to work anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was back in Lynchburg for the summer because I had moved with the intention of working at Elevation all summer. Um, but since I'd lost that, it was okay. Well, I'm here. I have really nothing to do. And so I just started writing. And that's that like was a form of confrontation, I guess, that allowed yeah. me to step out of my like observation mode and just start like speaking with something I had experience and knowledge in. Yeah. And so that that was that led to like some of the heaviest anxiety i've ever had before um because it wasn't so much i wasn't afraid of liberty i was it was more just like i knew the social cost that was coming and it came um but in the process of experiencing it even just certain personal relationships that became so heavy with conflict that i just was like okay like i I can't make everyone happy but I, i guess that's fine yeah how um how have you been taking care of yourself in the midst of all this since you've, you know, come out on the blog and a lot of your relationships are tenuous and, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what have you been doing to try and take care of yourself in this, in this, you know, past semester or so? Yeah, I, I would say that's still a work in progress. <laughs> I'm still, I'm really bad at putting those kinds of needs um, front and center. Yeah. Aren't we all? And so, <laughs> I, uh, I'm working on trying to find a therapist. Um, but the, the ways in which I've been helped immensely have been first, um, and just immediately switching into an affirming church. Yeah. Um, is there an affirming church in your area? There is, I don't know how many they are, but there is one definitely that always has a uh, pride flag displayed. It's first Christian church in near downtown Lynchburg. Um, it's a little disciples of Christ congregation and it's, super affirming there it's it's literally like all the pastor is a woman the staff's all women so Dang, I'm all about it. yes it's it's been great especially when i'm writing pastoral leadership papers for classes that don't believe women should be pastors and i'm citing my female pastor it's, huh. it's kind of like screw the system <laughs> do my own thing um, yeah but yeah there's a little church that's been helpful because it's given it, it's taken a really long time for me to feel comfortable there um, yeah because it was such a such a huge shift from the crazy contemporary style of elevations to the 
rather strict liturgical form. Yeah, but, but yeah, it was really good for me at the time, and it still is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's been helpful. Finding friends who, in part, have been who were in part introduced to me through what I was writing. Um, some of them still closeted. Some of them um, just allies. And, and finding people who have been willing to to befriend me and, and support me and completely affirm me and include yeah. um, me and my partner. And yeah, that's been probably the greatest thing aside from, I would say the ultimate um, has just been having a relationship that keeps me grounded and he keeps me from getting too far ahead of myself and <laughs> being a terrible person. Um, Isn't so. that always the way with partnership is that, the I think the best kinds of partnerships are those that like in some ways are a mirror for ourselves. Yep. Because like you can yep. really see when you know our own kind of like uh, kind of like I don't want to say selfish. I want to say like more um, our nature to self preserve mm-hmm. um, comes up um, that we see how that can manifest itself in unhealthy ways if we're not careful. Yeah, it's been it's been a learning experience for me, that's for sure. Like, wow, yeah. I have a lot of stuff to work on. Yeah. And this is your first time being in a relationship with another another guy? Yeah. Being in a um a romantic partnership for the first time. Is he also a person of faith? He is, yep. Um how has that how has that been for you? Um and do you think that it has been one of these things that has pointed you closer to to, to being closer to Jesus? Yeah. Um, it's, it's been great. It's also been hard. Um, Mm -hmm. it's, it's kind of like, you don't, you don't realize how much of a toll being in a relationship in a, like just immersed in an environment that does not affirm that relationship. Like the toll it has on you is pretty severe. Yeah. Um, just dumb things. And I wrote about this actually on a post that I published today by reaching out, um, how like, you know, we'll be in Walmart, which is, right across the street from Liberty's campus and we'll just be checking out. And, and just the, the idea that if we held hands there, it's possible that someone in leadership or someone in an influential position could see. And given the high probability we're both Liberty students, um, like that could get reported. There's like, there's never, there's never a place, especially within proximity to Liberty's campus where we feel safe being ourselves. Mm. Um, and, and he has more to lose than I do, given special his his circumstances um, with his family and whatnot. Yeah. But um, I I'm pretty willing to be out, um, but mm-hmm. I'm very careful for him. Um, yeah. But like my shirt has I have a shirt that is from my church, and it's got like a pride flag on it, and I wear it sometimes because I'm like, hey, this is more fun than fitting in and so i was walking walking across campus strolling with my pride flag shirt just like heck all of you you're mm-hmm. straight yes you're straight no i do that all the time <laughs> like like here's here's the truth here's the true thing about me living in atlanta um i don't really have many straight friends that's great um and so <laughs> and sometimes i wonder if that's like problematic and like when i was going to my last church like i had a little a couple more straight friends and like within my house church community i have some straight friends but by and large like i don't know like i i i wonder how the rest of the world functions with not being surrounded by queerness all the time Mm -hmm. and so just like i always get really shocked when like i'm outside of my bubble and there's like 
mostly straight people. I'm just like, what? Huh? Huh? What? What happened to my cognitive biases? Yeah. Just... <laughs> I'm just like, what are, what are you doing here? Although, like, the church I go to is, like, pretty well-mixed group of people. But even, like, the straight people, like, are so inclusive. And, like, even especially, like, straight family, like, straight couples with kids, like, like for them, like, meeting me and my partner is, like, no big deal to them. And so, mm-hmm. in a way, I'm just like, oh, well, you're kind of, that's kind of queer. So, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's definitely... It's, I don't know, I know that there are people in the world whose circumstances are, like, far more severe. And yeah, so for sure. I don't want to seem like I'm, like, overblowing everything. It, it is just, like, a stark reminder that, like, you're not welcome here in that capacity. Like, you're yeah. not, we don't affirm that. We believe it's sinful. And we will, we will fine you and give you points. And we will leverage consequences if you do not conform to our guidelines. And, yeah. and that's like, it's problematic, especially, but just I mean, like the idea that they I mean, prohibit love. I mean, that's not even, that's not the kingdom of Jesus. Not like that is not like, that's not how, like, this is something I think about a lot, like about like how much of our church, like, are we modeling the kingdom of God? Um, or are we modeling the empire? Because the empire will say, you have to act a certain way, talk a certain way, believe a certain way, get in line, take your number, and do what you're told. Um, and mm-hmm. But the kingdom of God says that if you're hungry, come to the table. Doesn't matter if you have anything to bring or anything to contribute, your presence is enough. Mm-hmm. And so when churches or colleges or any other kind of system models this punitive system wherein i'm not saying that we don't need to have like consequences for like poor action but i'm but when it's uh but when our ideology is based on like if 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 our if our membership to a tribe is based on our ideology then like that is that's not jesus and that is it just it just it breaks my heart and i have been a part of places like that and i um, I know exactly what you're talking about because yeah, like when yeah. I was part of missionary world, it was the same thing. I thought that when I came out, like there would be room for disagreement because like, you know, I was like, Oh, well, you know, people in the early church disagreed all the time. And then it was very clear within like uh, a day of starting to come out that like, I was not welcome in that space anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, uh... It's it's all these conversations like I love you, but I disagree with you. It's always I love you, and, but and just why does the conjunctive have to follow? Why can we can we just say I love you? Which is like I love you, and that's even better. Like I would even take I love you and I disagree with you because that <laughs> that is that is better. No condition, just and I disagree. yeah, I love you um, and I disagree with you, and that's okay. And I've I've got a couple of friends like that I still have in my circle that are like that. Yeah, but I think what's interesting though too is like the people who dis- quote unquote disagree with us are people who have not given any critical thought to mm-hmm. this conversation, to our experiences, to anything other than what they've been handed over the entire course of their life. You know? Yeah, and I, I try to tell people it's like if you'll, I, I can't do the work for you, but if if you do the work, like I have, a, I, I made a whole resources section on my website just because. Instead of people asking me to provide an epistemic defense for my existence, like, hey, here are some places you can go to actually do the work so you can 
begin to understand from an abstract mm. level what it is that I'm talking about, but you still haven't lived it. Yeah. And so when you reduce me to the binary sin or good, like you're not helping anyone. Um, and so I try really hard to, to tell people like, do, do the work. It's even if you still are in the same position you are now at the, at the time you're done reading whatever book it is you choose to read, at least you'll be better equipped to have the conversation with grace and not with a completely ignorant position. It's, yeah. it's just frustrating. It is very frustrating. And I think that's the thing is that like, especially when it comes to people who you've counted as like your closest friends or family. Yeah. Those, those individuals who, you know, you say I'm gay, excuse me, you say I'm gay. And then they, you know, like say, well, have you read Leviticus? And you're just like, bitch. Yes. (laughs) Are you wearing next fabrics? (laughs) I'm just like, yes. I've read like, it's it's one of the things that's like, um, my friend Casey, um, when he came out, he actually made an FAQ for people. And one of the questions was, I was like, question, have you, have you even read the Bible? And he said, yes. And I have read extensively about blah, blah, blah. And he, he, he posed this idea of just like, I've spent my entire life wrestling with this question. And I've finally come to a conclusion after reading and researching and, and talking to people much smarter than me. And I said, yeah. so I would appreciate it if you would spend more than five minutes simply dismissing uh, my dismissing my position simply based off of something that you've never actually considered or questioned. Yeah. And, and, and just like, remember <laughs> it's, it's not just a position. It's, it's people, lives, families. Yeah. I, I think what helps especially is telling people like, I am not 100% certain on anything. Yeah. And that's okay. Like I have this open handed belief and uh, I think reading Mike McCard's book, Finding God on the Waves, really mm, helped so me. So good. Such a, I cried a lot reading that book. Oh, um, same. And I don't really ever cry, so it's a big deal for me. And <laughs> I, like, I just loved it, and it gave me a language to just talk about. Like, yeah, I value empiricism, but I also think that I would consider myself a mystic as well. Let's talk same. about how these things work together and how we can, you know, believe differently, but let's pursue... I, I just talk about epistemology all the time because... For people who don't know what epistemology is, can you define that real quick? How you know what you know. Ah. So how do you reason something? Like you have to justify it. And so epistem- having an epistemological defense is where you, you justify a position using mm. more than just like one argument. Can I be very real with you? I was asking for myself. Because I, oh, like, I keep hearing this word epistemology or epistemological. I'm just like, yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. And I'm like, I should really Google that because I think I know what it means, but I'm not quite sure. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's important, I, I think, to, to learn how to talk about that. Because like, like I said, when, when people ask us to refute Bible verses over and over again, you're God. just like asking us to justify how we know what we know about who we are over and over again. Yeah. Um, and it's it's something that's really frustrating for me. I'm just like, if we're going to be using the Bible simply for proof texts and not as, because um, like that's that's what really bothers me. It's just like I don't if if we're going to continually, I want to get beyond um, yeah. the six verses. I want to get beyond whether Paul meant something when he said arsenikoitai or whatever. 
or Malakoi Tai. Mm-hmm. I like I want to get beyond these things because at the end of the day, like um, if all you are is fixated on six verses that were written at a very specific time in human history by very specific people, um, and you want to take an ancient understanding and apply it to a modern time, like it doesn't really make much sense to me because at the end of the day, I want to I'm going to look at the data and say. There is a certain way of thinking that leads people to death and die. There are real people who are dying. Um, and there are real people who don't believe that God loves them. And there are real families that are getting torn apart because of a old way of thinking. Yeah. And at the end of the day, that's what I'm most concerned about. I said, yeah. like, I could, I could give a shit whether I'm right or wrong about these things. At the end of the day, like, you know, I've, I've mm-hmm. lost friendships and severed relationships because people couldn't hold space for me and I miss those relationships so much and it didn't have to be that way. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I struggle with that, like feeling guilty about the relationships I just had to have, have had to say no to because they were just, were not healthy. Mm-hmm. And I don't think people understand that. Like why I'm not doing anything to you. It's like, yeah, but I like what Caitlin Stout wrote. Like I can't be your gay friend. Yes. Caitlin J I- Stout, by the way, Caitlin, if you're listening, I want you on here next. Oh, I love her. What a great job. Oh, what a lady. Um, so funny. Um, I want to... My... Ca- Sorry, go ahead. Oh, she's my icon. That's all I was going to say. <gasps> Ooh, what a lady. Um, She's also... Are you... You're not in the leadership cohort, are you? The TRP cohort? I am not. Uh, you should be next year. Okay. So apply for that. Put you as my reference? <laughs> Absolutely. 100%. Um, I want to read some... I'm, I'm currently reading Braving the Wilderness by Miss Brene Brown. Excuse me, Dr. Brene Brown, PhD, oh. LMSW. Um, I want to read something that she wrote about specifically about boundaries um, yeah. that I think is really, really powerful. It's like, da, 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 da. oh, it's from, this is from page 70. Um, and the subtitle is, There Are Always Boundaries, Even in the Wilderness. And it says, When we commit to getting closer, we're committing to eventually experiencing real face to face conflict. Whether it's over dinner, at work, or in the grocery line, in-person conflict is always hard and and uncomfortable. When it comes to family, it's even harder and more painful. If your family is anything like mine, you've been required to summon up some love and decency in the face of emotions that rage from minor frustration to great rage. Um, And skipping down, it says, but there's a question that came up during my research is where is the line? Is there a line in the wilderness between behavior that is tolerable and what isn't? And what she says is like, there's two different things. There's like physical safety, which is non-negotiable and emotional safety. Um, And it says that um, participants said that they weren't talking about getting their feelings hurt um, or being forced to listen to dissenting opinions or a dissenting uh, like uh, idea, but it's about dehumanizing language and behavior. Um, Mm -hmm. And, uh, I th- so and I think that's really what it boils down to is that um, for so many people who want to engage with queer Christians around these conversations is that it's not so much around having a dissenting opinion. It is that the way that they have been taught to talk about this topic, to talk about us, makes us, yeah. exactly what you said, into a theological problem, makes us into a issue and doesn't take into account our real lived experiences or our lives and how this is going to affect our bodies or how we move through the world. And that's always like a challenge I have for people is that like, 
um you I, I i've told people i'm just like you don't get to have an opinion about lgbtq people unless you're friends with them yeah um if you don't walk a mile in their shoes if you don't actually are committed to having real friendships with them you do not get to have an opinion and I think yeah. that uh, this is something Matthew Vine said in a presentation he did, is that if you have people who like, you come to the end of the conversation with them and they just simply disagree, challenge them. I said, like, okay, well, it's fine that you disagree, but will you commit to having real intentional relationship with uh, queer people of faith um, and grow in relationship with them? Because honestly, I think if people did that, they could not stand where they stand for much longer. Because the power of the Holy Spirit working in the lives of queer people is too obvious to ignore. Yeah, and it's it's especially frustrating because so many of those relationships, without having defined boundaries like that, um, just feel like almost a form of constant gaslighting. Like mm. you're just you're just trying to change me, and and it's this weird evangelism idea, but. I like I know like I used to believe the same way, but uh, it's just so I'm so easy, easily seeing through the the people who want to change me by being close to me. Mm. And if I ever get that sense, like no, you you do not have that privilege. Yeah, um, I'm I sure think you felt that before. That's one of my big um, markers for close relationship and who I let into my circle is that I will only be in close relationship with people who love me for who I am, not in spite of who I am. Yeah. Um, because like, I don't need my closest relationships to be the one where I have to defend myself or even like have an inkling of a thought that the person looks at me a certain way and disagree, quote unquote, disagrees with me. Like, I don't need that. Yeah. Like it's, it's hard enough existing in a world that's built for, for straight cis people. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like I, you know, I need I need spaces where I can like if I want to wear lipstick, I'm going to wear lipstick. If I if I want to paint my nails, I'm going to do that. Or if I, you know, want to hold hands with my boyfriend in public, um, that's why I think like living in the south. If I'm ever going to live in the city in the south, it's going to be Nashville or here. I love Nashville so much. It's a great city. I've got a lot of good people there, but it's one of these places where just like I will intentionally like live the rest of my life in cities that are welcoming and affirming like that like i don't know if i could handle not doing yeah. it it's like almost just like it's like when you taste what you've tasted like you can't go you can't go back yeah and that's okay like and that is okay sh- should never shame anyone for feeling the need like that's just an issue of personal safety and health yeah um i know that we're kind of like running out of time because like i have to get prepared to go to therapy oh that's so great oh is it though or is it like I don't know. I'm hoping it is. <laughs> I'm sure it is going to be great. I'm just like already tired of thinking about it. That was my conversation with my new friend, Nathaniel Totten. You can connect with him on his blog, NathanielTotten.com, and it's spelled N-A-T-H-A-N-I-A-L-T-O-T-T-E-N. So it kind of looks like Toten, but it's Totten. And uh, you can also connect with him at Nathaniel Totten across all social media. A Tiny Revolution is produced with support by Sonia Bowen and 70 other amazing sustaining partners at Patreon. If you think this work is important, these podcasts, the blogs, the videos, the stories that we're telling here, I'd love for you to partner with me in their creation. 
As one of my favorite pastors recently said at the Q Christian Conference, uh, this shit ain't free. <laughs> um, it does cost money to produce these things, to host these things, and time and energy to edit things and produce them. So I'd love for you to give, even if it's just a dollar, two dollars a month or more, um, if you have it. So if you have money to buy iced coffee or you have money to go out to lunch, I think you have a couple bucks to give towards creating content that speaks to the queer and progressive Christian experience. You can find out more at patreon.com slash the Kevin Garcia and learn all about the sweet perks there are associated with being a partner. You can also connect with me at thekevingarcia.com and across all the social medias at thekevingarcia. And I think that's all for me this week. Oh! One more thing before I go, I am going to be leading worship at the Q Christian Youth Conference, which I mentioned a little bit back during the fall. It got rearranged in the midst of uh, Q Christian being, uh, you know, rearranged and whatnot. And you can find all the information for that at qchristian.org. Get registered, get your youth there, and if you're interested, uh, reach out to me. I'll provide whatever information I can. Um, I'm so excited about this opportunity to lead worship and to be alongside my friends Austin Hartke and Emmy Kegler. They've been guests on the podcast before. So, yeah, you should definitely, definitely, definitely check that out. Again, all the information is at qchristian.org. That's all from me. Thanks for listening. Go see your therapist. Take a nap. Drink some water. Do something fun for yourself. Go for a run if that's your thing. And remember, you are loved. My name is Kevin Garcia. This has been another episode of A Tiny Revolution, and I'm sure you will talk soon. See you on the internet, boo. Bye. Bye.